Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. Your senior pastors, Dave and Andrea, like you guys are amazing. Dave's right where I've known Dave a long time and Andrea pretty well a long time as well. Um, Dave was my youth pastor. Hey, there you go. So he really is old. I can testify to that. Um, no, so I just a little bit of background, I guess. So I grew up in Newcastle, New South Wales and spent most of my childhood there. And then my family felt, uh, I guess, a vision from God, a a dream um, to basically pack up everything and move to the opposite side of the country. I still, at the time, didn't really understand why God was calling us here, but we packed up everything. We drove across the Nullarbor and uh, we landed here in Perth. And then two days later, uh, we were on a bus to youth camp, Dave's youth camp, as uh, the youth pastor then, and just loved serving God. Um, in Riverview Church that was. So, you know, we didn't even consider any other church. We just started serving God where He'd placed us. And um, I just recently, last November, uh, was on staff 14 years um, in the church, leading and ministering and growing. Um, Started, I think, in our youth ministry, um, serving with Dave. Dave used to worship lead, and I tell you, he'd get the foot going. And man, he was a great worship leader. I learned so much from Dave and um, many other leaders that I got to serve under. Great to hear Tim Healy's coming. Worked with Tim for nearly 10 years as well. Um, And so, yeah, last year I finished up on staff. Felt like God was calling me to a new season. Um, And so now I'm working with Alpha Australia, um, leading uh, our ministry here in WA and just really excited to be part of the team and seeing what God's doing. Um, I'm not sure how much you know about Alpha or how much they've told you, but Alpha essentially is a 30-year-old ministry. We've had nearly 30 million people do Alpha and a huge amount of people coming to know Jesus. And what is Alpha? Alpha, why we exist is we exist to serve the local church, to equip the local church, to help people come to know Jesus and to explore big questions about life, faith, and meaning. And so that's why we exist. Normally, Alpha looks like a 10-week Um, course, so to speak, but it's not about a course. It's not about a curriculum. It's about coming together for a meal, coming and building relationships, and then exploring some really big questions of life. And I just think in our nation, um, we're moving, or really we already are, a post-Christian nation. What does that mean? Well, it means Christianity is not the dominant reality within our worlds. I mean, there are so many people that have never even heard the gospel And uh, so we are a post-Christian nation. And so the idea of calling people to come and meet Jesus in the temple, I think there's a shift happening. It's moving from the temple to the table. We're inviting people around tables to have a conversation, to get to know what we believe and share some thoughts about what we think and hear what they think. And uh, so this is incredible. We had 80,000 people last year do Alpha and a huge amount of people giving their life to Jesus through Alpha across the nation. So that's why... They brought me on because we're believing that we want to see that accelerated here in Western Australia. We have um, Alpha in half the prisons in Western Australia. We have prisoners coming to know Jesus. And then here's the cool thing. The prisoners get transferred into another prison and they say, can I run Alpha? And then they lead a whole bunch of other prisoners to the Lord. Like it's so, so cool. I spoke with a pastor just this week 
um, he said that he had four Mormons come to his most recent Alpha, and two of them are now saved and in his church serving the Lord. How cool is that? Talk to another pastor. He ran an Alpha just this last term. And they had 30 people from the community, non-Christians, coming to this Alpha. They ran multiple groups. And 14 of them have given their life to Jesus and have just been baptized just before Christmas. How cool is that? Like, it's amazing. And so I'm just so thrilled that you guys are stepping into this Alpha world. I'm believing that you're going to see new people coming to faith in the church, new people coming where destinies are changed, eternities are changed. And uh, it's going to bring a whole bunch of new life, particularly with Ultra One. I love that. I think it's going to be amazing to see these families coming to faith in Jesus. Can anyone say amen? It's awesome. So I'm sure Brett and the team will tell you all about it. But today I want to share a message that I think God put on my heart. This isn't a message I've preached before. It's a message when I was praying. I was like, Lord, what do you want me to share? And so I want to bring you a message that I've just titled Everyday Evangelism. Everyday Evangelism. You know, often we look to evangelism like it's a big crusade or it's a big event. But I want to talk more to the everyday reality of what it means to share the good news with those around us. And as you move towards starting in Alpha, I'm going to believe that this message is really going to help you. It's going to encourage you, hopefully inspire you to invite people to come and see who Jesus is. Today, I also want to speak just to the basic responsibility that every believer has to make Jesus's last command our first priority. Jesus's last command to go into all the world and to make disciples. You know, often that's his last thing that he said. And I think we think anyway at Alpha that it should be our first priority, should be the first thing in our heart that people around us, that we would help them know Jesus. You know, Jesus told us to go and make, not to gather and maintain disciples. So he's interested in the making. He's interested in new creation. He's interested in people coming to meet him and coming to join in the kingdom of heaven, coming to earth. Amen. So today I want to read from John chapter 1, uh, the first chapter in John's gospel. And I want to pull out some principles that I think will help us when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to sharing the good news with those around us. And so I want to go back to the beginning of Jesus's ministry. This is the first moment in his ministry. I want to look at how he made disciples. How did he live out the last command that he spoke. How did he actually make disciples in that beginning? And I believe that the things that we'll notice, the things that we'll see, hopefully we can apply to our lives and then live out in an everyday way. So before we get there, before we read the, the word, how about we pray? Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it's a double-edged sword. We thank you that life is in it. And so today, as we open your word, would you speak to us clearly? Would you open our eyes? Would you unblock our ears? May we see you like never before today. And would you lead us, God, out? Would you continue to scatter us into the world so that more people would know you, would know the good news that Jesus is alive and Jesus is Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so I want to read to you today from John chapter 1 and then pull out some questions that it raises in my heart and um, then talk a little bit about what that means for our life. Um, but before we get to reading, I think it's important to set the scene. So John's gospel, um, John, it says in the gospel that he wrote it so that people would know who Jesus is. So it's important just to understand some context before we read it. Um, it, John begins by giving evidence that Jesus is God. So he says, 
in the beginning there was the Word, and the Word was with God, right? So positioning Jesus not just as a prophet, but as God Himself in human form. So God goes, or John goes to great lengths to provide evidence that Jesus is in fact God. He explains that He's the manifestation of God. And while you can't see God, you can see Jesus, who in fact is God. John also explains, and this is important, that many people rejected Jesus. He says that His very own, so in the English, the phrase is His very own. In the Greek, it's idios. Need more explanation jokes. Right? So what happens following this passage we're about to read actually is John's contrast to the many that rejected Jesus. And then what we're about to find is there is a few that accept him and a few that follow him. So let's read together from John chapter 1 verse 29. If you have your Bible, um, get it out because this is going to be a nice long passage together. All right. So John chapter 1 verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him. And he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one when I meant that, that I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave his, this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and said, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent a day with him. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two that heard that John had said who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to go and find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means Peter in the Greek. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one whom Moses wrote about in the law and whom the prophets have also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked, Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Wow. Amazing passage. A lot happening in that passage. You know, firstly, there is the role of John the Baptist 
and the importance of the one that came before Jesus. You know, we could today explore what was his purpose? Why did he come? What was he there to do? What is the significance of his role in coming before Jesus? Maybe we're meant to be called like John the Baptist going before Jesus, representing Jesus in the world, right? There's also the baptism, the the picture of the white dove descending upon Jesus. And we could talk today about the Spirit's infilling and the importance that Jesus is the Spirit baptizer, that you can't have the Spirit of God without having Jesus. But also the Spirit is essential in order for good things to come. We could also talk about Nathaniel's cut down of like, does anything good come from Nazareth? <laughs> like, what does that mean? Uh, is he referring to there, there's something wrong in Nazareth? That, like, there's, there's, there's an issue in the town? Or was he maybe referring to the fact that a whole bunch of people, the Bible says even Jesus' own from Nazareth, had rejected Jesus? So we could talk into that interplay. We could also talk about the seven titles that are listed in this passage. And just those 20 verses that give evidence to who Jesus in fact is. But today, I want to explore four simple questions that this passage raises in my heart. The first question that I see is this, who did you see? Who did you see? This speaks to the encounter that John has with Jesus. Who did you see? See, John has a personal encounter with Jesus. As Jesus walks towards him, John can't hide what has been revealed to him. Obviously, between verses 29 and 33, John expresses all of these things that have happened. He saw Jesus walking towards him. He realized he was the one. He was the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And then he sees the image of the dove descending. John has a revelation of who Jesus is. And he says in verse 34, very simply, I have seen. I wonder, have you seen? What have you seen? Who have you seen? Have you had a personal knowing, a personal encounter with God? Have you seen, have you tasted of who God is? Have you had a move of God, an experience, an encounter with God that is so undeniable? Maybe it was a miracle. Maybe it was a moment in time. But have you seen God? Who did you see? You know, I remember when I was 12 years old, I just had a miraculous experience with God. I think I'd decided to follow Jesus before that, but it was in this moment of encounter that God just set my heart alight. I remember I was 12 and I was in a service similar to this, and uh, the pastor just asked if someone, you know, if, if, if anyone wanted prayer or wanted a fresh touch of God, and I, as a 12-year-old, said, absolutely, I think I need that. And I remember as the leader laid his hand upon me, I felt like this warmth and this heat radiate out from his hand. And I felt my whole being filled with joy, like joy indescribable that I felt like laughing. I can't describe it. I couldn't contain it. It was just this miraculous encounter that I had with God. And let me tell you, I've been through many ups and downs in my faith life with God. Many challenges, many questions, many doubts, but it's that moment in time, that personal knowing that that leads me to continue to follow God. I wonder, have you seen, have you encountered God? Is there a moment that you can point to that when all else fails, you remember the the moment that Jesus walked towards you? You know, that moment in time was like heaven touching earth for me. And the moment probably seemed insignificant to everyone else, but to me, it was the most important of times. Amen. And I think personal knowing, 
personal encounter with Jesus is the first step in evangelism. You can't tell something, you can't tell everybody about something of which you haven't seen. I mean, think about it. Jesus calls us his witnesses. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in the world. A witness is someone who can testify to something that they have seen firsthand. Think about it in the court of law. You can't have a witness that's seen second or third hand. A witness is someone that has experienced something and seen with their own eyes. And so when Jesus calls us his witnesses, it's like he's calling us his witnesses into the world, into like a court. Imagine you know, being in a courtroom, right? And Jesus is saying, what have you seen? And we're meant to tell the world what we've seen. We're meant to tell the world firsthand our encounter. We're meant to tell the world what it means for God to have manifest his love in our life. Amen. You know, one more thing I love about this is the depiction in John's encounter. You know, often we make a big deal of us walking towards Jesus. But the Bible in verse 29, the first verse that we read, says that Jesus was walking towards John. And isn't that beautiful? That before we even take the first step, Jesus is walking towards us. That even before we take the first step towards God, He's already walking to us. He's already on the move. Listen, you might have people in your life that you're hoping that know the good news. You just need to know that Jesus is already walking towards them. You need to know that Jesus loves them more than you. That Jesus wants to encounter them more than they want to encounter Jesus. That Jesus wants to meet them more than you would even hope that He would. Jesus is walking. I love it. Second question that this passage raises in my heart is, who did you tell? So John says, I have seen and I testify. I have seen and I testify. So we're seeing an encounter isn't the end of the story, but it's a telling, a speaking of what he has seen. John doesn't keep his encounter to himself. He says that Jesus is the Son of God. In other words, his, his encounter was so compelling that he can't keep it inside any longer. He has to tell somebody what he's realized. Um, it doesn't stay within him, but it comes out of him. You know that moment when you're talking with a friend and they've just watched some new Netflix series? Like, it's like most recently, it's like everyone like, oh man, you got to watch Squid Game. It's so good. Anyone seen Squid Game? Oh, maybe that's, maybe that's not allowed. Um, or like, man, the new Spider-Man, you got to go see the new Spider-Man. It's amazing. It's so funny, right? Like we, we, we make this step naturally yeah. in our human thinking that when we've encountered something, when we've experienced something that's really good, maybe it's a restaurant, maybe you went to a really great restaurant and you just want to tell your family about it. You want to tell your friends about it. Man, you got to go and try that veal schnitzel at that local. Oh, it's so good. And you tell people about what you've tasted. You tell people about what you've seen. And sometimes I feel like we do that more with things of the world than we do with Jesus. It's like right now, it's like the vaccine, right? Oh, 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 hot topic. But vaccine, it's like, I'm telling you, man, if, if Christians could preach about Jesus the way that they preach about for or against vaccine, I mean, come on, like seriously, we would have way more people in our life coming to meet Jesus. You know, we've got passionate about things that are temporal and things that are momentary. Come on, we've got to get passionate again about things that are eternal, things that last and proclaim Jesus is Lord. Come on, let, let me introduce you to Him. You've got to meet Him. He's amazing. 
And maybe we've just got to go back to that encounter again and remember that moment that then leads us to proclaiming who Jesus is. You know, I love um, that John doesn't just tell people once. The Bible says immediately when he saw Jesus walking towards him, he testified as to who Jesus was. Then again, in verse 34, he testifies again. And this highlights the reality that telling people about Jesus once is not enough. Our research at Alpha says that you need to tell people or invite people 12 times before they'll accept an invitation to come. And I'll be honest, sometimes I think I just give up at about four or five. I start to get discouraged. But come on, we've got to invite, we've got to proclaim, we've got to tell people about who Jesus is continually as, as, as a lifestyle. You know, what's interesting about this passage as well is John is proclaiming who Jesus is to John's own disciples. These are people that John knew. These are people that John did life with. And the Bible says, verse 37, it says, When they heard him, they followed. So it's not just enough to, for people to watch your life and watch what's happening in your life, and then they'll follow. It's when they hear. How many times do you know that I can say things to my wife, multiple, actually, let's reverse that. That's the truth. She'll say things to me, and I just don't hear her. I'm not lit, like she's speaking, but I'm not hearing. It's when we hear, when people hear, when it's got inside, when they can repeat back what you're saying, you know that someone has heard what you're saying. And so it's consistent, it's repeated. Romans 10 verse 17, faith comes from hearing. That is hearing the good news about Christ. That's why church is so important, right? Because we proclaim faithfully the gospel of Jesus, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is Lord. And, and you know what? Church isn't just a Sunday, is it? Church is a people. And so we've got to proclaim who Jesus is on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday. It's living a life that proclaims He is Lord and He's alive. Second question, who did you tell? Third question, who will you bring? Who will you bring? So Jesus invites these new followers to discover Him, to come hang out with Him. Jesus says, come and see. In other words, come and spend time with me. Come and know me. Come and hang out. Come and get a little bit closer. You know, I love the genius of Jesus here. He knows that following God isn't often a moment. There may be a moment of encounter, but it's more of a journey in becoming like God. It's more of a journey. So He doesn't ask them immediately to repent, to pray the sinner's prayer. He says, come and see. Come and spend time with me. Come and get around me. Come to my house. Come and hear what I believe. Come and share a meal with me. Come and be with me. You know, and it wasn't just Jesus that did this. Um, Andrew invited his brother, Simon, who we know became Peter. Uh, Philip did that with Nathaniel. It was an invitation to come and see, come, come and be, come and hang. Jesus is teaching us a simple principle here. It's this, invitation is incarnational. To be invitational with the gospel of Jesus, we must become incarnational. What does that mean? It means in order to invite people to come and see who Jesus is, we must do life with people. We must live life with others, particularly those far from God. You know, one of my life verses that 
has tried to shape me. You know, recently I've been, um, the last three years, I've been a sports chaplain at our Perth football club. The Perth Demons is called. And, um, you know, 98% of the people there are non-Christians. And I just try and walk in that world representing Jesus well and just be there, be accessible. Um, we always say that visibility is credibility, that when you're present, when you're there, when you're around people, they're going to ask you questions and you're going to be able to invite them. You know, this is one of my life verses that really started that journey for me. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 8, it says, Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but to share our lives as well. I love that. That we loved you so much that we didn't just share the gospel of Jesus, but we shared our lives with you. Because how many of you know in our world, sharing our lives often precedes sharing the gospel? sharing our lives and opening our home. So I wonder, who is it in your world that you need to share your life with? Who is it in your world that you can invite into your inner circle? Maybe they might just discover Jesus as these disciples did. The fourth question this passage asks is, who will they become? So when we invite people, we know that they'll become something. Who will you become? Who will they become? So when we spend time in the presence of Jesus, we know that we are changed. We're changed. People don't have to be forced to repent. They willingly repent because they're so taken and captivated by the holiness, the glory of God. When we're in the presence of Jesus, we are transformed. Jesus says to Simon in verse 42, you will be called Cephas. Now, this is such a pivotal moment in John's gospel. And there are so many messages preached about this moment, this very verse, because Jesus changes his name. And I don't want to get too deep into this because we'll be here all day and it's really hot. But Jesus changes his name and that is significant. You know, the world sticks all sorts of labels on us, right? We're given, you know, the name that we're given at birth is a label on us. The words that are said to us in our upbringing and, and in our life are either positive or negative. They stick to us and they affect us no matter how hard we try. But here's the beauty. God loves us for who we are and He sees us for what we can be. He saw Simon for who he could be, Peter. And he changes his name to signify the transformative work that Jesus does when we're in His presence. We know that through life in Jesus, we all receive a new future. And this for Peter in that moment is a prophetic word because Simon doesn't immediately stop being Simon. We know he denies Jesus. We know he has a bunch of trials, but eventually Simon is the rock that the church is built upon and launches. And so the name that Jesus gives you today is that you are loved, that you are seen, that you are accepted, that you are free, that you are not forgotten, that you are redeemed, restored, and renewed. Jesus gives each of us a new name, just as he did for Peter. So the questions, who did you see? Who did you tell? Who did you bring? Who will you bring and who will they become? You know, as I've thought more about these questions, I think it forms a bit of a model for how we can do evangelism in an, event, an everyday kind of lifestyle. And uh, so if we throw that up on the screen, we have an encounter with God that I have seen moment 
the moment that He changes us and the moment that we realize who He is. And that leads us to proclamation. It leads us to tell people in our life, not just I have seen, but I will testify. Or as John says, behold, the Lamb of God. And then that leads us to invitation. As we proclaim, ideally in our world, in modern day, through our life, as we proclaim who Jesus is by just living it out, that then we'll begin to invite people around us to discover the good news of Jesus. And then that leads us to transformation, that after we've invited people, then they can truly be transformed. You know, and this is also present in the following verses. So this is John and Jesus's um, interaction with Andrew and Simon Peter. But in the next verses with Philip and Nathaniel, check it out, um, throw up the next slide. The same thing happens. So Jesus encounters Philip in verse 43. Philip then goes and tells Nathanael about Jesus in verse 44 to 46. And then Philip invites Nathanael to come and see. He copies exactly the phrase that Jesus used, come and see. He says, well, come and see. Anything out of Nazareth can be good? Well, I don't know, come and see. He just invites him. He doesn't defend Jesus. He doesn't stand up for Jesus. He just invites. And then Jesus transforms Nathanael and encounters him powerfully in verses 47 to 50. And what I've also seen in this passage as well, if you throw up the next slide, is that often when people are transformed, then immediately they want to invite their friends to come and be transformed as well. And so I think this model doesn't just work in a linear fashion or a clockwise fashion, but it works all the way around. Often in the scriptures, people's encounter with God or the miraculous happens after they've been transformed or after there's a proclamation of who Jesus is. And so this, this narrative um, shows us a model for how evangelism can be done in a very simple way. But here's the truth. It seems super simple, but I think often we focus on the wrong things. We often spend our time, and I spend my time, trying to transform people, <laughs> trying to fix their behavior, trying to lead them uh, to forgive others, trying to tell them that they need to repent, trying to get them to read a book that will help them, you know, five steps to transformation or something like that. But the truth is, I don't think that's our job. I don't think that's our job. It is Jesus who encounters and transforms John. It is Jesus who encounters and transforms Philip. John proclaims and invites his disciples to follow, but it's Jesus who encounters. Andrew proclaims and invites Simon Peter to follow, but it's Jesus who encounters and transforms. You can throw up the next slide. Philip proclaims and invites Nathaniel, but it's Jesus who encounters and transforms him. And so... My message is pretty simple today, which is that invitation is our job, but transformation is God's job. Invitation is our job, but transformation is His job. You see, the disciples proclaim and they invite. They go and tell their friends about the good news of Jesus, but they aren't trying to encounter them or transform them. They leave that up to Jesus. And the same is true for us. As we step forward towards launching an alpha, my encouragement to you is to recognize that invitation is our job, our responsibility. Someone must invite. But Jesus does the transformative work. Amen? God can do what only He can do. And He invites us to play a part in that. So why does this matter? How does this help? Well, three quick things I think this helps us with. Firstly, it relieves pressure. 
It releases pressure. Your job is not to save somebody. (laughs) Your job is simply to invite so that they would be saved. So what that does is it releases pressure of having to control the outcome. The outcome is not your job. The outcome you can leave in the hands of the Holy Spirit. Amen? He's the one that causes change to happen in somebody's life. So all we need to do is invite. You know, it's really interesting to note that following this interaction is immediately after this passage that we've read today is a story where Jesus does his first miracle with water into wine. And a lot is made of water into wine and the act of the supernatural, I guess, coming to earth. But I just love the metaphor of the wedding and what happens where Jesus asks the attendants at the wedding to help him um, go and fill up the jars of water. And the truth is, very much this principle is like a wedding. We are like the ushers at the wedding, just inviting people in. We aren't the main attraction. We aren't why they're there. We're just standing at the door, hoping that they would see Jesus, pointing people towards Jesus. Hey, you've come to this beautiful wedding today. Uh, Don't the bride and groom look beautiful? We're here to help transport people to make sure that their time at that wedding is wonderful, that they meet and they see beauty unfold as the husband and wife meet each other at the altar. See, we are like ushers at a wedding, helping people see Jesus. I love that. You know, so as, uh, you know, as the second principle of how this helps us is that it builds resilience. You know, I think some of us, myself included, have stopped inviting people because they said no. Like I said before, we've found our research says that we need to invite people at least 12 times. And every time you invite, you're moving them around what we call a clock face of faith. You're slowly moving them towards a closer picture of who Jesus might be and closer to maybe accepting that invite. But so often, I think Christians today, we have just lost our resilience. Someone said no to us, but when was the last time someone never watched the Netflix show that you recommended stop you from recommending it? You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. But for some reason, someone says no to us about coming to meet Jesus or coming to an Alpha or coming to a Christmas event or coming to church. And all of a sudden, we just stop inviting. What if instead we just built a little resilience and recognized our job is just to invite. Our life is short here. Our time on earth is short. Let's make it purposeful. We are here to invite people to meet Jesus and leave the rest to Jesus. If someone says no, it's not a no to you. It's a no to Jesus, and Jesus can handle it. Amen? Jesus can handle it. So it should relieve pressure on us, but also build resilience in us to continue to invite people. You know, don't worry about the outcome. Just be obedient to what God has called you to do. We proclaim and invite Jesus encounters and transforms. Lastly, it ignites passion. You know, I love about this story that all of the people in the story couldn't wait but help their friends meet Jesus. Like they were so excited for people to meet Jesus. The Bible says, I think it's in verse 41 or 42, that Andrew, the very first thing he did, that's the phrase it uses, the very first thing he did was he went and found his brother. I mean, this is not like in today's world where we can just pick up a phone like, man, you just got to come down. Like he would have had to go and find him. But the very first thing he did, it ignites passion in his heart for people to meet Jesus. Come on. We're here to help people meet Jesus. That's why we're here. That's why we're here on earth. Amen. Our life is short. Don't worry about momentary troubles, but let's continue to hold on to the hope that we have in Jesus and help others meet Jesus. You know, the truth is you don't 
don't need to proclaim the gospel by standing on a soapbox and saying, Jesus is Lord, repent. You just need to live it out. You need to live it out. And trust me, people will start to ask you who this Jesus is. Why are you different like that? Like as St. Francis of Assisi, I think once said, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Like I love that. Preach the gospel with your life, right? So Jesus didn't launch His kingdom through a mass mailing. He didn't launch it through a Billy Graham crusade. He didn't launch it through preaching to large crowds in an evangelistic campaign. There was no corporate headquarters. <laughs> there was no organization. It began quietly with two of John the Baptist's disciples and John the Baptist. Andrew told his brother, probably John also told his brother James, who comes to follow Jesus. Philip told Nathaniel. And all of them recognized that Jesus was the Savior that we need. And they got excited about who Jesus was. And that excitement spilled over to telling everybody around them about who Jesus is. Remember, His job is transformation, but ours is invitation. That's what we're here to do. And so as you move towards launching an alpha, I want to encourage you to invite. Who in your world can you invite? We've got a video that I want to play, and then we'll come back and I'll land the plane. Play that video, hey? Perfect. Yes. We all have that person in our lives. That neighbour we pass by every day outside our homes. That co-worker we see at the office five days a week. All those friends we catch up with every once in a while. People we wish could know and experience the love of God. How do we share it? Where do we even start? Deep inside, we know that it will cost us something to open up our lives and share our faith. It takes time, vulnerability, sacrifice, the risk of rejection. But this is our call to open our lives and to share Christ with the people close to us. Because it's only through opening your life up that spaces for honest conversations are possible. Spaces where people can truly be themselves and explore the deepest parts of life with people they know and trust. That's why we're running Alpha. It's a course over several weeks where you can invite your friends to explore life's biggest questions over a meal. It's a chance for you to invite that person into an honest conversation about faith because when it's hard to find the moment or the words or the courage, you can simply invite. Alpha, who will you invite? Yeah, so who is it in your world that you can invite? to discover Jesus? Who is it in your world that you can invite to come on the journey of doing life, to have a meal with and begin to share? You know, I believe that we are in the greatest season of evangelism in our nation, during my lifetime, certainly. People are so hungry and so open to meet God. We're in a post-Christian nation, like I said before. And I think, you know, there's maybe great fear in the church about that, what will happen, but man, the gospel goes out in that place because there are people I'm discovering that have never heard of Jesus. They don't know who He is. 
And so they're open like never before. It's not like they've got some residual faith, but they're actually open to things of faith. People are more spiritual than I think we give them credit for. And they're more open than we give them credit for. And I truly believe that the harvest is here. The Bible says that the harvest is here. We don't need to pray for the harvest to come. We don't need to pray, I don't think, for souls to be open to the good news of Jesus. I think it's here. We just need the courage to invite people to receive Him. You know, the Bible says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray to the God of the harvest for workers. You know, the truth is, if there's anything I could say today, it's invitation is our job, but leave the transformation to God. That's His job. Would you be courageous enough to invite? You know, the harvest is here. There is 1.5 million people, according to our census, that don't know Jesus and don't follow Jesus. So there is a plentiful harvest. We just need people to pull it in. We need people to drag it in. Let Jesus deal with their heart, but let's be obedient to inviting people to meeting Jesus. You know, the lost sons and daughters coming home, the prodigals returning, those that once knew Him, the hurting and broken here in Armadale, the poor and needy, who will you invite? Who will you invite to come to know Him? Maybe it's not about Alpha. Maybe it's not this year. You know, Alpha is not a one-size-fits-all. It's just one tool. It's just one way we can invite people to know Jesus. Maybe you're meant to just do life with someone around you right now. And I just want to take a moment. Would you maybe close your eyes right here in this space and just take a moment. Andrew, would you just continue to um, play for us? And I just want you to think right now of one or two friends in your life that don't know Jesus or aren't walking with Jesus right now. If you can't think of someone, just ask the Holy Spirit to speak a name into your heart. Think of maybe the person that you will invite or the person that the Lord's leading you to. right now and I want to pray for those people in your heart and mind. Come on, stand to your feet right across the place. And just right now, just open your hands towards heaven, like open them and like like the person is placed within your hand, like they're just sitting on your palm, that you're putting them right now before God. It's a it's a surrendering posture. It's, a, it's, it's acknowledging that I can't change this. I can't do this without you, Lord. And let me just pray for you today. Father, I thank you for every hand that is um, stretched out, every hand that is placed towards you. Father, these represent people in our lives that we want you to meet. We want you to encounter. Thank you, Jesus, that you are already walking towards them. Thank you, Lord, that you have already taken the first step. And so, Father, I just pray right now for an infilling of the Holy Spirit, an infilling of anointing, a commissioning, I pray, upon each person here to go out from this 
place and to invite, to invite, to invite, to go and do life with these people. Father, we don't uh, take it by coincidence that this moment has happened, that these people have come into our heart and mind. It's not a, a moment of trickery. It's not a moment of, of, of emotion. Father, it is a divine appointment, a divine moment where you are leading people in our lives that we must go and encounter. We must go and walk with. We must go and lead. And so, Father, I pray just for blessing and favor. Lord, I pray for an open door. Lord, I pray for an open heart. I pray, Lord, that um, as you go before us, that we would see the harvest in front of us and that we would be filled with passion and filled with energy, Lord, to all that you want us to do. Holy Spirit, come and do what you do. We can't do it without you. We are lost without you. We can't accomplish anything apart from you, Jesus. And so right now, we just throw ourselves again into your hands, into your presence, into who you are, God. And we ask that you would lead us and guide us as we invite, as we do life, and as we hopefully see many come to know you in this city, in this nation, in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand.